0: American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast.
1: We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television
0: from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you
1: for tuning in, and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at
0: gmail.com.
1: All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension.
2: Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher. I am here with Tom. Tom, how the heck are you?
0: I am... Good. Today is home ownership day. Woo! Yeah, congratulations. Yes. It's yep. only
2: a matter of time
0: before we are in the new studio there, right? That's true. Uh, in fact, uh, the kind owner uh, prior to now, uh, she even left behind a desk. So I have an official desk. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> Good. Instead of my kitchen table. <laughs> You're going to really
2: appreciate having some that you can set up and leave set up.
0: Well, seeing as how uh, it's pretty much just me here all the time, the kitchen table is set up. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> but but it would be nice to use it for other things other than uh, my studio.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. You could like eat at it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Once in a while. Before we go any further, something I don't do a lot on this show, and I feel like I should more often, is just remind people that we are available on a lot of social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Tom and I are both on Facebook, and you can find us in the Facebook group there and everything. You can follow me. I have an account over on Twitter. I just started a um, Mastodon account as well as a Hive Social just in case Twitter implodes or something. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit more active on Reddit. I've had that account open for like over two years now, and I've barely used it, so I'm trying to be a little bit more active over there. So lots of different places. Um, Discord is another place that you can come and, and find us. And uh, just a lot of places that you guys can you can come and join. And you can have some, maybe we can try to strike up some conversations about either the shows or any of the films that we're, we talk about on the show. And I also uh, usually post on just about all those places, anything I'm watching, even if we're not going to be talking about on the show, just uh, some odd thing here and there that I'll be watching. So it's a great way to... See what I'm up to, and you can comment, and we can have a discussion about any of that. Uh, I have to update it. I don't think I have all the uh, newest things on the link tree just yet, but you can check that soon. I'll get that updated. This Probably by the time this comes out, it will be updated with everything. So the link in the show notes will take you to a place where you can find all these social media outlets. I really hope you would. If you're on any of them, I hope you come and try to find me and, and, and link up. Now, unfortunately, we got to talk about. Let's do some sad news first, so we can get that out of the yeah, way. Yeah, let's get it out of the way. Uh, we'll do the most recent sad news at the time of recording. Is Jason David Frank passed away? Uh, for those who don't know, he was the Green and White Ranger from like the original Power Rangers series. And I, I bring it up not so much because I was a Power Rangers fan or anything, but I met him briefly once and saw him at several conventions and this guy was just an incredible guy it was so much fun watching him and this is how i came to meet him is he was at one of the cincinnati comic expos and i just kind of throughout the day would pass by his table and everything and this guy was almost always not behind his table. He was out on the floor. He was out in front of his table talking with people and it really looked like whoever he was talking to, he was making them feel like they were the only ones in the room. It's just a fantastic gentleman and I had to just go up and, and talk to him just briefly and just kind of thank him for being that kind of a guest at a con and he was really generous. He was really nice and I have not read a bad thing about him and the losing him at the age of 49 is just, it seems like such a, such a loss and such mm-hmm. a shame. This is a guy coming out of what was essentially a children's show. Yeah. And many actors, when they do something for a long time, like and something as popular as Power Rangers, they try hard to put that stuff behind them. Mm-hmm. He really seemed to embrace it and actually really seemed to... To turn it to his advantage, because he was very big in in helping uh, helping kids, uh, being a role model, uh, uh, training you know, kids with the the martial arts and everything. And I have a feeling that uh, uh, Jason Frank was just already a really great guy, and Power Rangers was just lucky enough to cast him. Nice. Yeah, uh, just it's a it's real real very unfortunate. To lose someone like that so young and uh in the circles of the, you know power ranger fandom and in the circles of just the uh the kids that he mentored and everything it's definitely going to be a a big hole to fill so uh, it's very very sad yes quite now another one that happened i think it happened just after we recorded so this is very old news by the time everybody hears this but Because of who he is, we had to mention and had to bring up the passing of the Batman, Mm. Kevin Conroy. Uh, This was like a punch in the gut.
0: It really was, yeah.
2: For 30 years, he's been the voice of Batman. And I I just saw in this article that between all the series, television series that he did the voice for, Mm. that equates to about 400 episodes. (laughs) Of television.
0: And and as a fan of uh, some of the games, I mean, he was the voice in the games. And to this day, he he is definitively uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne. Uh, Oh, absolutely. No one has captured it quite as well as he has.
2: Well, no one's been given the opportunity to, and he was that you couldn't have asked for someone better. He got a chance to actually really play. And experience sort of like the duality Mm -hmm. of uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne. What's really funny, I was reading, he wasn't a huge Batman fan. He was just a guy that was, you know, a stage actor who decided to go and try out for this voice role. Yeah. (laughs) And, And he just found his voice in
0: Batman. Yeah, he did, because uh, uh, well, and this is why, for me, he'll always be the definitive actor for Batman and Bruce Wayne. And I say it like that every single time because he was capable of capturing how to play them as if they were two different people. Um, one of my favorite things, I can picture it in my head every time I'm thinking of how he, good he was at it is there's a scene where Batman is in the cave and he's talking to Alfred and he is talking in the deep Batman voice. He is in costume. Mm -hmm. But then a call comes in for Bruce Wayne and while in costume, I mean, it's animated so it's not like he had to do anything different, but he had to now change the inflection in his voice. And while dressed as Batman all of a sudden you just see Batman now with Bruce Wayne's voice going oh hey what's up doc <laughs> like, yes like, I know the very episode you're talking yes, about yes uh, yeah because uh, in fact I think it was uh one of the ones with Man Bat so um at any rate yeah that just his ability to change and and distinctive. It was completely distinctive. There is no way someone talking to Bruce Wayne would then encounter Batman and go, "That's the same guy." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, he carried it completely different. It was great. And uh, I love. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to touch on the fact that uh, until the whole house thing kind of came to be, I was tinkering with the notion of still trying to get to the Galaxy Con that was going to be in. Columbus, because we missed Kevin Conroy at Cincinnati Expo because of illness. Yeah. And we didn't realize in what way he might have actually been out due to illness. So I was kind of trying to go see him in the next couple of weeks. So this really kind of hit hard. I'm like, oh, yeah. man. I love that
2: he got a chance to actually portray a Bruce Wayne. Live action, live action mm-hmm. with the CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover event. I still uh, need to see ago. that,
0: and especially since he's in it.
2: Yeah, well, it was just the one episode that he appears, but it was so cool, and he got to play like you know, sort of a darker uh, and and battle worn Batman. Or, well, Bruce
0: Wayne. From what I understand of the storyline, it was supposed to parallel at least some of the kingdom come. Um, A little bit, yeah. Yeah. uh, At at least stealing some of uh, those elements to be that. So he was supposed to be the grizzled old Bruce Wayne who, if he got out there at all, he was going to have to go out there in his prosthetic suit. Exactly. Yeah, that was very cool.
2: Yeah, just... Uh, I mean, it is just such a shame because for so many paper. I mean, an entire generation. He is Batman. Yes. Since nineteen, was it ninety two, when that series premiered, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of series afterwards, plus Justice League, plus you know, countless movies, oh, yeah. and then like you were saying before, the video games. Mm-hmm. I, I, he was Batman, and I just. You know, I, I said it in a couple of my posts when I commented uh, when people were reporting the news, a lot of people have worn the cowl. Yes. And people will continue to wear the cowl in the future, but I don't think any of them will be Kevin Conroy. No. Or will match Kevin Conroy. No, and good luck trying. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I would love, you know, 20 years from now to be sitting here talking about the, the person who I, I can't imagine anyone else voicing Batman than this person. Because I, I hope that happens, but I, I'm, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> no, uh, I shouldn't say hopeful. <laughs> I, I guess I'm hopeful, but
0: you're not I'm holding, not holding my hope. breath. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, uh and just an incredible guy and will always be a tough act to follow. Yeah, and again, he was another person where
2: you can't find anything bad written about him. The people that met him at conventions that were lucky enough to meet him at conventions have got nothing but fantastic things to say about him.
0: Yeah, it, it will forever be uh, a sad thing that I didn't get a chance to meet him. Uh,
2: yeah, it really, it really hurts that we were like this close. Right. It was only I think a week before the convention that he. Uh, bowed out. Yeah, and of course, yeah, we figured, oh, he got the flu, COVID at the worst. Yeah, you know, and and maybe that's all it was at the time. But yes, I'm I'm assuming uh, the bad news about the the cancer is a, of what he a short battle with cancer is is what the articles have been reporting. So I'm guessing that bad news came soon after. <laughs> what whether that illness was related or not i'm assuming it all came rather soon afterwards yeah no i
0: either way yeah just uh, an incredible talent and um I, I admittedly to a lot of the universe they might not a lot of people in celebrity might not entirely know who he is but uh that's that's just a shame for that part
2: yes yeah well I'm, i imagine there may be people that wouldn't know his necessarily know his name or know his face but
0: they know his voice <laughs> i
1: am vengeance i am the
0: night i am batman
2: well let's leave the sad stuff behind yes I haven't been watching a whole lot except one thing, because of a conversation I was having with somebody at work. It really got me kind of in the mood because I haven't watched him in forever. I went back and watched The Max. Oh,
0: yes. Yes, I saw that.
2: Oh, man. This is from uh, 13 episodes from 1995. It aired on MTV. It's based on the 1993 uh, Image Comics by Sam Keith. Oh, it's still just a phenomenal phenomenal series god i love that so much and now i'm i'm thinking i i'm actually need to go back and, and read the books again too yeah no such a
0: it's such a trippy psychedelic thing oh yeah absolutely i
2: i do think that by the time you get to the, like the last couple episodes it really feels like people are like you gotta hurry you know <laughs> the studio the, we've only got the studio till 12 you've got to move you know <laughs> and it really feels it, you really start feeling how abridged the story is at those last two ep, last two episodes or so yeah. but the the series as a whole though is just incredible yeah. and it, yeah it's just it's a fantastic comic book series if you if you go back read the started 1990 1993 read that original run there's just blows me away and then the series did such a great job um kind of mimicking that
0: uh the the actual comics interestingly enough and I'm gonna have to dig into it a little bit more they were making in the past couple years there was a Batman the Max crossover series Mm -hmm. um but if I understand it correctly, they never finished it.
2: Oh, really? Interesting.
0: Yeah. Cause I do. Now that you mentioned that, I
2: do remember something, hearing about something like that. And I was thinking I needed to go out and try to uh, find those books.
0: Yeah, no. So if anybody listening, if you know more about it, please. Uh, I haven't dug into it online or anything. So I am coming at this raw, but I collected up to a certain point. And then my store said, "Oh, there, it's it's delayed, it's delayed, it's delayed, and never, I never got any of the continuing stories." So. Oh wow, interesting. So I've been meaning to dig in on that to see what happened or if it'll ever get finished. But. Of the ones you did, you did find,
2: was it a series worth checking out? Was it actually done by Sam Keith? It was a
0: limited series, and I haven't read it yet, because oh, okay. I was waiting for the complete series to just oh, do it all right. at once. So, uh, but I believe Sam Keith was involved in the artwork, so... Yeah, very cool. No, so, uh, yeah, the, the, the Max, geez, I haven't seen that series myself in, in probably since the
2: 90s, so yeah it, it'd been a while for me i think i had a, a vhs copy that was released but that original vhs release was actually missing a couple episodes for some reason and then uh when it was finally released on dvd they put the uh, the, the two episodes back in so it was the entire series so that's what i was watching so i because the, the the two episodes, at least the one episode I know for sure that was missing from the VHS is like just when I saw that episode the first time on airing, yeah. it was like episode where you're watching and you find yourself leaning it, you know, <laughs> because of what's happening. You're like, oh my God. You're like on the edge of your chair. You're like leaning in and then what happens, happens. You're like, holy <laughs> you <know? laughs> I just, I love it. I think it's episode... Oh, maybe is it 7 or 11, somewhere along there? I think it was maybe closer to 7. But, yeah, it it actually has, like, the least to do with the Max. Mm-hmm. It has to do with one of the uh, uh, tertiary characters, uh, Sarah. And it's all about her. And it just, my gosh, it just blew me away. And I just absolutely love that. And the entire series is just so much fun. It's been so long since I watched it, and now that I've watched it, I'm thinking, it's not going to be that long before I watch it again. <laughs> yeah. No, <that's- laughs> and I am going to go back and read the books.
0: Hey, walk Yeah,
2: Rennie delivers Tony. <laughs> the skinny one's Tigo. The big one's Fridge. They beat people up, take their money, kill them sometimes. The cab driver gets a third. One woman got away by running three blocks on a broken foot.
1: Sometimes it's luck that saves them. Sometimes it's fate.
0: Hey, Fridge, here's another one. You ever seen anybody with so much change in their purse, huh, Fridge? I say you ever seen anybody with... What? Who are you?
2: Usually it's fate, but sometimes it's me. Yes, and sometimes it's us. All right, everybody, freeze.
0: Damn, I was talking out loud again. Now, see, on my side of the world, uh, thanks to a bout of the flu, (laughs) I I, I spent a great deal of time uh, catching up on a number of things. So I did get to finish the first season of Blockbuster, of course, it takes on more and more of its role as a uh, as sitcom, and there there's a a love story of a kind that is building through the series, so it it's left you on a cliffhanger. Um, interestingly enough, too, uh, one of the points during it is. Obviously, business is going down. It's very much still about the small business, especially when something that was tied to a huge conglomerate now becomes just a single little uh, essentially mom pop store at this point. Um, and trying to survive being uh, a, a, a movie rental in, in a world of streaming um, becomes an interesting point of view for that. Uh, And it has a lovely little uh, scene toward the end where apparently there's a a solar storm of some kind. And I think I even remember when this was all plotted out that uh, um, if this goes off, uh, there will be disruptions here and there. And in the location of this particular blockbuster, yes, everybody loses access to the Internet. So... Sales go through the roof. (laughs) The blockbuster. Uh, That's hilarious. Yeah, and it gets a little out of control, and that's part of uh, the cliffhanger ending for the first season. So, I have no idea if Netflix intends to continue it, but uh, they left me you just enough. I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to see more. So it actually improves a little bit. You were a little kind of on the
2: fence to watch the first couple episodes.
0: Yeah, they they got good at uh, getting you involved in the uh, characters that they have in there like uh, there's a uh, one character, he's a uh, he's an aspiring filmmaker. He knows everything about all the films that are in the in the store and it's actually kind of raising what used to make blockbuster blockbuster for a lot of us. I mean, yeah, you would have that store where anybody working there didn't give a damn. And they, the, they, you, you went there, you grabbed your video, and you left. But in some of the stores, half of the fun of being there was the personalities of the employees that were working there. And their, their ability to make suggestions about things you wouldn't have necessarily thought for yourself. Mm-hmm. This really emphasizes that. So all of the characters all have relationships to the movies that are in the store. To, in a sense, in a fashion where they it gives them that connection back to the customer, and it's kind of funny watching it in a in a TV series. You go, I actually do kind of miss that. <laughs> oh, and it's also pointing out. It's making a statement about the way. Uh, All of our conveniences, and this sounds like a old guy, fuddy-duddy kind of thing to say, but I mean, all of our conveniences are, as much as we can communicate with one another more than we used to, the quality of that communication has probably dropped by quite a bit because, yeah, we can get in touch with just about anyone anywhere, but do we know them like we used to know people? Right. So, and that's what this is touching on. It, it, it's it's a fascinating series from that point of view. So, worth the second. Uh, I'd like to see it go to a second season.
2: Cool. Well, I'm curious to see what uh, Netflix does with it.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, and then I got into some horror movies. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, I did. I tried
2: on Smile. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, now how is that? I mean, I knew nothing about that movie other than their absolutely incredible viral marketing.
0: Yes, uh, which they were good at. Um, I think if you were to watch this, uh, you would have seen it before. Okay. Um, in fact, actually, our friend, what was the the movie we had? Uh, the the Independent. Surrogate? Surrogate. The baddie in surrogate is essentially the same kind of thing. Mm, okay. So, whereas, uh, yeah, there there's essentially an entity of a sort attaching themselves to people to the point of their death, and then that is the outlet to reattach to another person. Gotcha. So, yeah, that sounds really familiar. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it's a standard horror trope, anyway. Um, it, it, it's how you keep passing on the joy of the terror. But, uh, but yes, and in which case, the crazy smile is the uh, is the telltale sign that uh, you are being tormented by this particular thing. So, gotcha. Um, and, It was an entertaining watch. Uh, It definitely creepy in spots. uh, But, I mean, it's formulaic. You could pretty much uh, know what was going to happen beat for beat. So, not bad, but no surprises. Okay. Now, the other one that I watched that did happily have some surprises, and mostly because I didn't bother to find out anything about it. I only knew that it was on Paramount+. Plus. It's called The Significant Other. And the only thing they even show you in any of the trailers and previews is that um, a couple goes camping in the woods and then horrible things ensue. I do not want to even remotely spoil this for anyone seeing as how it's still new. Just understand that it is it definitely goes in a direction that was not expected. And then it gets even a little weirder from there. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I really wish I could go into it more because I, but I don't, I don't want to ruin it. Um, it's very psychological. Um, it is not expected. Uh, and it leaves you at the end going, what the hell is about to happen? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, it does kind of go, yeah, it gives you that moment of like, okay, that was all terrible, and now it's only about to get worse, and I don't get to watch. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it it has that feel about it, so I, I highly recommend this one. It is, it was a lot of fun for what, uh, You think you're going into one thing, you got something completely different. It was great. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I've only seen two episodes, and they were today. So, (laughs) but uh, on Amazon Prime, there is a series called uh, The Peripheral, starring uh, Chloe... grace moretz i believe uh, is how- oh okay uh, maybe i have heard something
2: about this yes. i know I've, I've heard her name attached to something but i couldn't i wouldn't have been able to
0: tell you what right in this case uh, we have ourselves a sci-fi thriller um it's already set in the future it's 2032 from from the uh, timeline that they set um, in 2032, world doesn't look a whole lot different. Um, there's a lot more electric stuff, which is go goes just goes without saying. Um, gaming continues to be a a a thing that people not only build upon but also start looking as sources of income. Um, and in this. Uh, sh- Chloe is playing somebody who is apparently um, innately good at these uh, simulated world kind of things. They get a hold of a piece of tech that uh, her brother is supposed to be testing, um, which will put him in a different sim. She, She actually wears it on his behalf because she's the one that scored all the points that allowed him to be selected for this. Um, And not in the first episode, but in the second episode, you find out that apparently the device that she's been given is not putting her in a simulation, but projecting her mind into a thing a number of years later, like another 60 years down the line.
2: Interesting.
0: Yes. So it has as was described in the scene, even um, she's like, I don't believe in time travel. And he, the guy explained to her it, you don't have to, this isn't time travel. It is date. Uh, he explains the, um, the scientific principle to which uh, data could traverse um, a period of time. So um, at any rate, it, I left it at that because I didn't even make it through the second season, the second episode, because we had to record this. <laughs> but sorry. it's got so- me hooked. Sorry to interrupt. I know, right? <laughs> but no, it, it's definitely got me hooked because it's got a good mix of action. Um, there's lots of intrigue. Um, they're already building nice characters. Um, and now you just kind of left going, I want to know what the hell happens. <laughs> so Sweet.
2: Yeah. All right, yeah, I'll have to check that one out. You said that one's on Prime, right? That one's on Prime, so you have access to it now. I will. Yeah, that's something I can easily check out. Yes. All right, cool. Was that it? That. That's a lot.
0: It's <laughs> just a just a few things. It's amazing what you can do with a lot of forced downtime. Yeah, the
2: tables have turned a <laughs> little, little bit. So, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break then. We'll play a promo for another podcast. And when we get back from that, we're going to talk about and finish up our Time Machine trilogy as we talk about (laughs) 2002's version.
1: Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair To talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview, will be the turning point.
0: Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, "Hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part." So what happened was, I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair, and it fell off, and the knife fell out. And then they were like, "Oh God, you really are a lady stiff."
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, i like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. It like scrubbing be, uh, the windows on the Enterprise there. or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine. <laughs> there's a guy. No. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. <laughs> Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica.
0: Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior.
1: Our next stop is Antiquities. Make sure that your micro scans are charged for download. Let's go, and Tommy, if you do that again, I will resequence your DNA, so help me. Now march. Welcome, how may I help you? Over here, area of inquiry. Tell me about the time machine. Time Machine was written by H. G. Wells in 1894. It was later adapted to a motion picture by George Powell and a stage musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber... No, which ran that, on that's not what I mean. Years. Would you like to hear selections from the score? No. There's a place called tomorrow... Thank you. That's quite enough. Will there be anything else? Uh, no. No, I... I think I'll have better luck in a few hundred years. Time travel. It's possible, sir. Not in this world. Where do you come from? I'm from the past. I wonder if we'll ever go too far. With what? With this, with all of this. No such thing. Why have you traveled through time? To have a question answered. Why can't one change the past? Why would you want to? You lost someone, someone you loved very much. You should go back to your own time. Why? There are things better left, not said. Tell me what's happening here. Even if the truth will haunt your dreams for all time. Well, I think I'm used to that. This was not supposed to happen. They're human beings. I can look inside your memories, your dreams, your nightmares.
0: To resist.
1: Nothing will change the future. Iran, I will change it.
2: Hoping to alter the events of the past, a 19th-century inventor creates a time machine to travel back to try and stop the death of his fiancé. After an attempt ends in tragedy and he watches her die all over again, he's desperate for an answer as to why he can't alter the past. He travels into the future, visiting 1903, 2030, 2037, and finally stopping in 802-701, where he discovers an idyllic race of humans. But as we all know, this paradise has a dark side, and the time traveler has to fight for his life against the carnivorous underground-dwelling Morlocks. As I said last episode, it blows me away that this thing is 20 years old. Oh, I know. Uh, I do remember seeing this in the theater. I don't remember who I went with. If you, if it wasn't you,
0: I'm not sure. Maybe it was Steve. It would have had to have been because, yeah, 20... Uh, well, I don't know. 20, 2002, no, I was still in town. So it's possible we went together. Yeah. I can't rem- remember if I saw this in theater, though.
2: Watching it uh, on the television, it really struck me how this film was made for a theater. Mm-hmm there is a lot of scenes where you're just thinking, I'm not getting everything out of this scene as I should because my TV is not big enough. Right. <laughs> you really need this up on a, a very, very big screen.
0: Yeah, especially uh, the effects around the uh, his version of the time machine in particular. Um, they did a really... I mean, it's still... Early CGI stuff. Uh, CGI has been around for a while, obviously at this point. But I mean, compare that then to now. It's it it, it, it it's like it's twenty years old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, it does actually look uh, look pretty good. The time machine on this thing. First of all, this was actually really it's a, it kind of a, a sweet spot of technology because. Yes, there's a lot of CGI kind of moving its way into film. But for the most part, you're still reliant on physical props and physical um, uh, uh, visual effects and that sort of thing. So the actual time machine prop exists.
0: Yes, no, it is a physical device sitting in a room. And And it turns and it, you know only
2: when it's actually traveling and and the actual, all the lenses and they're really spinning, that's when they're computer generated. But when they're just sitting there
0: kind of slowly turning, they're, they're doing that. Yes. And it looks beautiful. Yes. No, his clockwork machine looks amazing. I mean, as much as the uh, old, uh, George Powell version was, was beautiful. This one I'd actually put right there next to it as a, as a beautiful piece.
2: No, absolutely. I think this one, I think, plays a little bit more homage to the original uh, description of the time machine in the novel. I seem to remember that being described as having a lot of brass and, um, and crystal and glass and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it's been forever I, since I've read the novel, but I, that from my memory, that's
0: that's what I remember. Yeah, no, and I, I don't think I I actually meant to dig it up to see if I could read it because uh, I was curious if this is any closer to the original than 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 any of the others. But at any rate, um, yeah, the the time machine is is gorgeous and the effects that the they they chose to do. Because as much as I like the George Powell version, um, this one, when it gets fired up and it starts to actually move through time and it it forms the actual bubble, mm-hmm. um, and they actually go to the trouble of showing what happens if you cross the bubble. Yes, <laughs> and I like that was pretty. That's that's a nice touch. I like that. The visual
2: of the time machine itself might be why I decided to add this DVD to my collection. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like you could almost just turn that into a screensaver well, the first time he fires it up. And as the uh, the light uh, beams into each of the canopies
1: mm-hmm. and you
0: watch the... Uh, you you watch the uh, crystals align to turn it on itself so that it makes the bubble. And like, that is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Very cool. Yeah, this is a
2: rare remake that made its way into my video collection. Uh, that is very rare for me. Typically, when it comes to remakes, especially a remake of something that I consider sort of like one of the... Um, all, one of the the, the,
0: the holy classics yes. of sci-fi um, I mean it's a classic story it's a classic read but it's also the first movie is one of those sci-fi classics that is always watchable
2: no yeah, yeah it, it's it's a staple I yes. mean that's one of those things that no matter what kind of format will come out you know in the future, I will have a copy of it in that format kind of thing. I thought it was very cool. Uh, the director of this thing is Simon Wells. He is actually the great grandson of HG Wells.
0: Oh, no way.
2: (laughs) Actually. Yes. It is very cool. That's, that's awesome. Yes. And if you look close, actually, uh, there are photos of HG Wells that appear in the film. And, uh, What's his name? Uh, Alexander's House. There's a couple portraits hanging on, there's a portrait or two hanging on the wall, like in the in the hall by the door or whatever. That's a portrait of H.G.
0: Wells. Well, well H.G. Wells is called out outright in the film. That's true! Yeah. Oh, and, and just a little note since I pulled up uh, Simon while we're talking. Um, born in Dayton, Ohio! Was he really? <laughs> he was! How did that happen? Well, when when a man and a woman love each other. (laughs) (laughs) They certainly um,
2: acknowledge the previous film, not in that they weren't necessarily doing the fan service kind of thing. No. But they were sort of celebrating it. I think and that's certainly the way it comes across anyway, and maybe it's just the the connection with the Wells, you know, Wells being connected to Wells. And then that first film being as groundbreaking, they just sort of seem to to celebrate. There's always these little nods here and there. I noticed the actual, going back to the look of the time machine, you know, the whole thing is all, it's all brass and crystal and glass and everything. But the actual seat that he climbs up and sits in, Mm -hmm. it's very reminiscent to like the old seat, in the in the sled as far as it's got the scroll work arms and it looks like it's made it's got a cloth you know uh, cushion and it's like it it made me think of the, that original time machine prop oh i and, know
0: uh, well and then i i mean they call it out outright you, when he gets to the future and and he's uh tootling around in in new york of the time mm-hmm. and, and he's at the library and he meets vox uh played by orlando jones and and he's asking him about practical application of time travel and while the 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 ai is busy laughing at him at the notion of practical application um he starts pulling up all the stuff related to it he pulls up hg wells um the time machine literally Um, and then on top of it mentions the George Powell movie from 1960. Yes. (laughs) Like, like that is awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, and then, um, I don't know if you caught it or not. There's a cameo in this film when our, our hero in his, uh, attempt to save his fiance, you know, they, he takes her into the city and he runs across the street to buy flowers the gentleman running the flower shop is Alan Young, the star of the 1960 time machine.
0: I didn't even notice that. That is awesome.
2: Yeah. It's just a very brief, you see him only for a few seconds. He says, he has like one line, but that one line is like, I know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right, I shouldn't say the star. I should say, um, not the star. Uh, Rod Taylor was the star of the original time machine. Right. Uh, the time travelers, uh, George's
0: uh, good friend, uh, Philby. Philby, yeah, uh, he he's the the original Philby, whereas Mark Addy is Philby in this one.
2: Yes, so so yes, let me correct myself. There, one of the co-stars <laughs> of the original Time Machine. Yeah, it makes a campaign yeah.
0: Still, when uh, you're talking about a film, it has like four people that talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're close enough. <laughs> yep. All right. Thank you. And supposedly,
2: now this is a, mentioned in one of the special features on the DVD. Supposedly, he was like going to, when he was going to wardrobe, and he was picking. He, he was allowed to like pick out his own like period uh, shirt. Yeah. Supposedly, he found one that matched the one he wore in the original time machine, and according to this, could be. Someone making stuff up. Maybe it's him making stuff up. I don't know. His name was on the collar. <laughs> I find it a little hard to believe that a shirt
0: would exist for 60 years, but,
2: <laughs> uh, you know, I guess it could happen. Uh,
0: yeah, I suppose, especially if it's period costuming that yeah. you're just hanging on to it, but still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun tale to tell whether it's true or not Yeah. so what did you think of this versions of visions
2: of the futures again you know he jumps forward to uh, 2030 right so let's see this is uh, 30 years into the future of this film and again it's one of those things where like oh you had such high hopes (laughs) for, for the future didn't you
0: well, it, it well, yeah. Uh, once again, it's another vision of our future where we um, we seem to value science and, and uh, particularly space travel more than we have. Although I say that as we did just have a rocket past the moon, so
2: yeah, that's true.
0: Which, in hindsight of watching this film, maybe maybe don't go. <laughs> uh because actually i do find it a truly human thing to to think us so presumptuous as to know what to do once we get to the moon uh if we were to actually start colonizing it and using it um i could totally see us screwing it up and blowing the damn thing up
2: <laughs> i wish there was a way how cool it would have been so much fun had he traveled to, like, 1999 and seen the moon explode. <laughs> That'd be a great little, you know, just tip of the hat to some other sci-fi uh, series. Yeah, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, yeah. The, um, interestingly enough, though, uh, if you think about it, a good hunk of the stuff that they were showing for that time frame. Not outside the realm of possibility. No, I suppose not. the The AI, I mean, the
2: technology to like you know project into the glass panels and that sort of stuff is certainly within reach. The whole um, artificial intelligence, though, you know, I don't, I don't think Siri's going to be acting that way anytime soon.
0: There is work in that field, though, so. He, granted, it were 2022, so I don't know if another 10 years will be quite there. But we're probably not far off of it. Perhaps not with Orlando Jones's personality. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. I I kind of wonder when they do films like this now, where they have to project the future. I wonder if that's another sort of homage to, you know. The origins of these films, the fact that it's a remake, because the films made in 1950, 1960, whenever you get to the, the year 2000 or whatever, it's always amazing and people are in their flying cars and doing that sort of stuff. So by projecting the film even 30 years into the future and making it maybe a little bit more fantastical than, than even someone might assume it would be then is that sort of an homage to the films of the 50s and 60s i
0: i could see that being a thing uh the problem is is like you said after your after 2000 um if you think about it like all through the, the 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 uh century of the 1900s there was always this glorious idea of what would happen in the year 2000. Straight up into the 80s, even. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was this projection of, of truly mind-blowing technology and all that that would come about. And I grant you that we're still in the, in the early half of this century. But do we have any kind of dream of what the future will be like like I don't feel like we dream like that anymore no I was just thinking as you were talking like
2: I I, I've, I don't see any films recently or or coming out where in the far-flung year 2100 kind of thing
0: well and with the excluding um, Star Trek's performance perpetuation of optimism and trying to get back to it and i'm thrilled for it most of our future stuff is fairly dystopian yeah like even if we improve upon our technologies and come up up with truly amazing things even if we get into space it's not all sunshine and flowers
2: (laughs) no no yeah well keep in mind even star trek although it shows a very promising future we still had to
0: screw it all up first <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and they got a little real about that uh, about uh, when they launched strange new worlds so the the notion we're going to screw this up big time before we actually get our act together so mm-hmm. and, and it's hard to not feel the sting of that
2: <laughs> yeah
0: so yeah even in this uh it 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 tried to make a positive uh, this one, this movie over the George Powell one, at least suggested um, we might have gotten too big for our britches, kind of thing. But we didn't, uh, we didn't destroy the earth out of our own hatred of one another. <laughs> it, it wasn't war.
2: Yeah, yeah, very true. And well, this is interesting too something happens on the moon apparently uh, there was an accident with a uh, mining or something on the moon there was it, a new
0: nu- they, they were using n- nuclear explosions to clear out uh, a cavern in, in there to which we were going to build the this wonderful resort
2: <laughs> yeah a colony or something horrible. and it, so it was sending shards of the moon crashing down onto onto the planet. And then they actually uh, knock our traveler out. And so you don't actually see what transpires for the next 800,000 years. Right. And I thought that was interesting. So what actually happens to the planet, you kind of get the impression it's not just the moon. I wouldn't think that in 800,000 years that it's what the events that we see with the moon is really what sends the Earth into turmoil. No, it, that would do a hell of a job, but I don't think that would be it. So I think there's probably a lot that goes on, but we don't focus on it. And it, this isn't a... It's not the anti-war
0: message that the 1960s was. And we'll get into that when I do some of the reviews, but um, it is one of the things that is kind of missing, at least from the 1960s version. Granted, uh, again, I... I, I I haven't read the source material, so I don't know if H.G. Wells had a statement of a kind to make in the thing beyond his 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 idea to do, to do a story about time machine and and a future population of separated human beings. Um, so, if he had a statement, I don't know. But in this case, I actually did kind of find a heart in all of this kind of lacking. Hmm. Like there was some good storytelling and there's great effects and some decent uh, stuff going on, but I mean, it wasn't trying to make a statement about anything at all. So it felt considering what the 60s one did, this this felt a little purposeless.
2: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. And it wasn't, it, it's not actually anything I really had thought of until you mentioned it. And you're, yeah, until we started talking about it, really.
0: And I was mm-hmm. like, no, yeah, it really doesn't have a message, does it? <laughs> this distance itself so far out that there's no attachment to um, the evolution of humanity. Like, it's too far. It, it, What what happened the the George Powell movie? Even though it went deep into the future and it explored the war uh, aspect and all that, um, it didn't feel so disconnected because it was very much about that whole relationship. He when he gets to the future and meets the Eloy and the Morlocks, and he essentially has to teach the Eloy war again. In order to defend themselves, which in and of itself is part of the statement of the film, like, this didn't have any of that. So, our Eloy and our Morlocks and their evolution don't tie into the overall thrust of him moving forward through time.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But while we're on the topic of time... This one does hit some of my favorite sweet spots. (laughs) Meaning, uh, I I felt like it needed a little bit more. This movie maybe needed to be a little longer than it was. I was actually a little
2: surprised to see that it just clocks over a little hour and a half.
0: Right. Um, So I think it leaves a little on the table, and I'd be curious if it did leave more on the table than we know of. Because... The sequence is at the beginning where he is he is late for his date with the, the woman that he is going to ask to marry him. And we go through the, uh, the entire experience of him asking her his whole date and all that. And then she's killed during that. Which sends him into a tailspin. Which buries him in his work and allows him to build the time machine. Correct. To which he does this exclusively for the purposes of going back in time to save her. That's what he wants to accomplish in this. We go back in time and he... I I even give him credit because I was watching this with my son and I hadn't seen this in a while. So when when he goes back in time... And I'm like, I'm even asking Jack at the time. I'm like, like, isn't he worried about running into himself? And how would that work? And we find out that he goes to the date in advance. He beats himself there. Um, And then he takes her away and he tells her to go home and that he's going to come find her later and he's going to be upset and not know anything. And, I'm like, and I had that moment where I'm like, he did think it through. He he didn't just travel back there. He was trying to set it up so that he could slip out and his, his self in that time would pick up from there. So if you're accepting mm-hmm. the notion that he can be in the time and affect it, he is actually setting it up so that It should work if he pulls it all off. I don't know what's supposed to happen to him if he pulls all this off, other than the fact that he even noted before he left that if all of this goes well, none of it will have ever happened. So he already understood the notion of untangling his own paradox. So even he knew he wouldn't necessarily know he just did this. But after she dies from that visit, he's already set himself up to go, I can't make the change. And he's and that's the question that he has for the rest of the movie is, why can't I change the past? That's the truck supposed to be the driver for the film. But he only did this once. Mm hmm. I feel like there should have been at least a montage of some kind. Maybe a sm- maybe not a goofy one by any stretch. No, but there but should have been there's... some other attempts. Yeah, you know, funnily enough, you say that
2: when I originally wrote my little synopsis, I did it from memory prior to actually watching the film. And I actually wrote, after several failed attempts, Right, and it in my several. head,
0: I thought he tried more than once. And that's what that was my recollection as well. So I was a little dumbfounded when he had already decided this wasn't going to work, and he only tried once. And I, I did have a little fun pointing out uh, the, like, the reason she dies the second time is related to the guy with the. Um, steam-driven automobile and the guy he... He mentions he keeps forgetting to put the brake on and mm-hmm. it's the fact that he didn't put the brake on is why she ends up getting run over by that carriage. And, I like, that that's kind of cool, but even in that, that part didn't sit well with me because I'm like, okay, he... It's not him, so he stopped that guy... When he was going to the park and he had helped him put the brake on the car because he was checking it out. Theoretically, that version of him still did that.
2: That's true because that was before he went to the park. That's before he went into the park.
0: So that car getting away from itself, either that guy is that big of an idiot or or this is suggesting something changed as a result. Um, Yes. And yeah, but no, I I, I needed him to try more than once to really understand that this is now a fixed point point time. Yes. Well, this obviously
2: plays into the idea, too, of you making changes. You're creating alternate realities or alternate uh, timelines, because obviously we saw the events of the first timeline, which aren't taking place now because he's gone back in time and taking her away from the park. Etc. And I guess we're to assume that that version's time uh, of Alexander is still waiting at the park or something because our Alexander that we're following from the future is sitting in the hospital when his friend Philby comes and talks to him. So you're like, wow, where's the other version? (laughs) Right. Where's this timelines? Where's the
0: present Alexander right now? yeah and the only thing you could get away with is since this is still turn of the century, it's not like you got a phone call or that's true. and yeah,
2: if you're gonna try to get from one side of the town to another, it's you know horse and buggy kind of thing. so it's not like you can just uh take the subway or something
0: right. and if he's waiting for her in the park and hasn't found her, it, it, it could be it could be hours or days, uh, well, maybe not days, but at least another day before yep, he actually that's knows true what happens to her
2: yeah because where would he would go if he's she's not at the park and he waits he was gonna wait there for probably at
0: least an hour and then, yeah, then where's go he to gonna her go home he's and gonna go to the, the home there yes and, yeah so th- there would be a significant amount of time that passes before he actually understands what's happened
2: yeah very good point so but yes like you I was expecting at least an, at least one more or, or two more tries
0: sure yeah just something to to uh, Drive home the idea, he can't change this. And I actually kind of dug it
2: that in the end, we actually get it—you know—spelled out. You can't go back and change it because if you—if she doesn't die, why would you have built the time machine? You're your own paradox.
0: Yeah, and that gets into when we meet the Uber Morlock. <laughs> yeah, that
2: is the one thing even I remember walking out of the theater thinking that is the one sticking point for me in this film I really don't like the uber morlock
0: I didn't care for it but uh since it happened the uber morlock's explanation of how their evolution works worked I did kind of like I liked the notion that at this stage humanity had become so divided in where it was living and how it was behaving and all of that that even amongst the morlocks there is segregation in how they develop Mm -hmm. so the notion uh, now the idea that there's just an uber morlock that gets to control everything it is a little peculiar. And you would think even if he can control everything and he knows as much as he does, maybe he could have come up with a better plan than eating half the population. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You think perhaps just saying, I mean, that seems like a, a, like I understand that they have struck a balance of a kind, uh, but wasn't there another way to do that? (laughs)
2: There was a couple lines from the Uber Morlock when he's describing what happened, you know, what transpired and why uh, those that went behind or, or stayed under. They said they tried to go back, you know, out into the sun and find they and found they couldn't, and so they stayed underground and developed themselves into the caste systems that you see and everything. That's all cool and all, except for the fact that in the previous scene we just saw them out in the sunlight
0: right
2: yeah apparently and that brings up something that uh, again Stan Winston studios designed the Morlocks and apparently they uh, designed them to be shot in the dark and they were quite upset when the studio and the, the the filmmakers did the the whole daytime hunting scene, yeah, because they're like they're not gonna look good <laughs> they're <laughs> not gonna look as good you you can't do this to us, and so they were a little a little annoyed at that, and it's a strange thing because when you obviously the script was originally everything you know when you saw the Morlocks was gonna be in the dark right, and yet we have this giant hunting action scene in the light right. And I agree with Stan Winston and his fellow co-workers, <laughs> whereas I don't think they look bad, but they would have looked so frightening if all you saw them was in, like, in the moonlight.
0: Yeah, in, in the moonlight and darting in and out of the the branches and bushes of the of the forest and all that. Yes. Yeah, no, it, it, it ran the risk at that point of changing its rating because uh, if they had pulled off that same sequence in the dark, that would have been kind of amazing. Oh, it would have been
2: incredible. And that would have been a scene that you would remember for a while, especially seeing it in a the theater with like the big surround sound and all that stuff going on and hearing the clicks and the jumps through the wood and, and all you get is these flashes and barely get to see them. Ah. That would have been
0: fantastic. That that would have been amazing. And then uh, I'm going to take this moment to pick on something that was just completely ridiculous, though. Because during during the daylight hunting sequence, our, our hero, Alexander, it, it is doing his level best to, to fend off at least one of these hunters. Mm-hmm. But his choices to go up this windmill (laughs) thing. And and sitting there with my son watching this film, I I just looked over at him and go, what's his plan?
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I had had that same
0: thought watching it. Like, these things are running on all fours or upright. Uh, They are moving faster than he possibly can. They're moving through the trees, too. I'm like what's your plan, dude? Where are you going? What are you hoping for? Cause I'm like, it's going to follow you and it's going to follow you faster than you can get there. So I'm like, I, it, it was a ridiculous moment in the film. I like, yeah. Like, you could have come up with a different action sequence. I mean, for God's sakes, all of their dwellings were all hanging off the, off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. You could have had an amazing chase scene through through all of that, but we didn't do that.
2: It's something that happens in the film to some extent and I feel like they do it a lot in the trailer. I don't know if you've watched the trailer recently. In the trailer, they really make this thing feel like a superhero film. Oh, really? Like they, I didn't it, watch it, the trailer. Yeah. I watched it because I hadn't seen it in forever. Right. And I was curious to see what you know what it looked like and i I presented itself to audiences before they watched it exactly um for one thing they use music from stargate oh really (laughs) and they really make it act seem like he's like supposed to be like an action star or something and it 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 doesn't fit it doesn't sit well you watch the trailer and you're thinking why would anyone go see this movie
0: (laughs) this doesn't look good at all I don't I don't remember but I don't think it did particularly well. Actually, it didn't do too bad.
2: It had like a 80 million estimated budget and worldwide gross it did a, it did about 124 All worldwide. Right. So,
0: more than made its money back.
2: <laughs> it made its money back, but it it took its time doing it and it didn't do it here in the states on its own. So, it depended on your point of view as far as how well, you know, what 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 do you consider right. doing well? It didn't have that number one in the box office for three weeks kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It was probably number one for a day, maybe. Most of the things that I would consider kind of quibbles if you kind of look at it and try to pick at it too hard are just the things that you have to do in order to make it accessible for the audience. Uh, the whole idea of why the Eloy can still speak English. Right oh because it's you know it's in the oh you are talking about the the language of the stones or the something stone they, language yeah and uh oh yeah we we we're, we're taught it, but many people forget, but they have to give some reason why someone why he can understand everybody um, the Vox is the replacement of the talking rings yes from the original film, and also works as a uh a, sort of a tool of exposition that you can actually interact with. Yeah. And he's used a couple times to sort of explain what's happening so you don't actually have to show it, which I think is a little, I think you could have, much like they did, well, you know what? I guess they didn't. In the the original, in 1960, they used voiceover Mm -hmm. because this was uh, George telling a story to his friends so you could excuse the occasional break-in of a voiceover and you didn't have that in this one
0: yeah
2: but I think that the scene when uh, Alexander finds the the pile of clothes and then sees all the hooks with sinew and such sinew and flesh still hanging off of it I think that would have been enough of course I guess Vox doesn't actually come out and say what's happening. I guess that is really the, the reveal. But there is that really... I actually really like that scene when uh, Alexander asks Vox, what's going on? What are they doing? And, like, you know, it's too horrible to even to to say or whatever. And he looks at the one young Eloy and goes,
0: bah! <laughs> that... That was cute. Uh, I I did get that. But again, it, it was kind of taking uh, some emphasis away from the reveal. Mm-hmm. And then, since the love interest is, is still alive and in a cage when he does make it down there, it, it requires the uber-morlock to explain why she hasn't been eaten yet. <laughs>
2: yes, yes. Conveniently, the one girl that Alexander has any interest in is going to be saved from dinner because she'll be a vessel for
0: procreation. Yes. Which I, I guess the Morlock don't like getting in on with the Morlock. <laughs> yeah, That. Uh, yeah.
2: exactly. Why don't they mate within themselves? Uh, and,
0: well, yeah. and that in and of itself doesn't work because that would have required that to have happened in the first place. Like, yeah. it, it, for the humans that went underground and the humans that stayed above ground, um, well, the, the humans that went underground would have still needed to procreate to become Morlocks. Exactly. So, so you would still need um, at least biological genders. <laughs> right. So, unless they've
2: just bred themselves down a, a, a dead end with their caste system, uh, who knows?
0: When it came to that part, while it was interesting, the concept uh, again because this is an hour and a half long movie, we didn't get into some of the stuff that would have made it hit home a little harder. Yeah, it's a little rushed. Yeah,
2: yeah, it does. It feels a little rushed, and it it feels like it's trying too hard to just be the action film versus the thought provoking time travel film.
0: Yes, because once again, one of the things that makes the 1960s so amazing, aside from the fact that it did such a good job at a time when it was difficult to make something like that, um, it was thought-provoking. One, in the message that it was clearly trying to deliver, but it left that tease at the end. It left that tease about the three books that he took with him Yes. To start society over again, and this had none of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was definitely kind of missing from this one.
0: And, and while that will forever be a topic of conversation, because they did that was just genius. That was pure genius. How, how how do you get people to talk about your movie? Leave them answering a question that can never be answered. Yeah, they'll talk well. about it forever.
2: Well, the only question this movie leaves you is, you know, in the end, he uses the time machine as a as a bomb. Yeah. And the only question is, boy, how how did they know how far to go <laughs> before they're going to be safe from this explosion? <laughs> isn't right. it, Isn't it convenient
0: that that explosion only went that far? It's a little confusing what exactly the explosion entailed. I mean. This is a man from the late 1800s who had access to clockwork, gear, and steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what exactly blew up? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Again, it's it's the action movie uh, finale. You know, it's the uh, countdown to the bomb until one. It's the, you know, the run and the jump just in
0: time. And- Yeah, and the thing that was bugging me with with the explosion too, um, and actually uh, we'll get into that with the review as well, uh, is, okay, so it goes off, but then they get to a height to be able to watch what it's doing everywhere. And like, um, how'd you get up there fast enough to actually see anything? Yeah. (laughs) You did just get out of the hole,
2: yeah, well, and it leaves. I mean, it's a big open book too, because we we hear from the Uber Murloc, Uber Morlock earlier that there's other colonies, right? So, uh, they're safe there, but uh, do they do they have threats of other colonies? Do they does does Alexander explore? I mean, his life may yet
0: be short in this the uh, you know life of paradise with the Eloy. Indeed. I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, the first wasn't great with that either, but I mean, the notion that, true that it's a big planet. Yeah. <laughs> so we got lots more surface area. You got to assume there's other stuff going on other places other than this one little jungle. Yeah, but no time machine this time at the end of the film. No time machine. But the guy that made the thing is alive. What? I, I always marvel at that whole. Okay, the device is dead. Yeah, yeah but the guy that invented it, it's right here. So it's true. If he could build
2: a time machine in eighteen ninety
0: nine, probably gonna be able to scrap enough pieces
2: together to build another one in eight oh seven six oh whatever it is. Well yeah.
0: And here's the thing: the explosion. Because um, I did want to talk about this. Um, like I said, his device doesn't. It's not like it's nuclear or anything. Um, He's working with late eighteen hundred technology, whatever his energy source is. When that bomb went off, it looked more like a projection of its time bubble than it did an explosion. And I think that's part of what it was supposed to be because everything aged to bones in a heartbeat. Granted, uh, why it's contained by the walls of the caves
2: Yeah, yeah. when
0: his own device can prevent that from even happening, Um, which, again, is still one of my favorite parts uh, uh, of the time machine. The notion, uh, it's funny that the 1970s one screwed all of that up, (laughs) but this one still latched on to the idea he doesn't go anywhere. The time machine travels in time, not in space. So right. wherever he's running it from, that's where it is. No matter what what decade he lands in, so so. And when the bubble is up, nothing can penetrate it because he is outside of time. So, oh. You could have a little bit of fun with that, though, uh, considering how buildings rise and fall and all of that stuff. Uh, like, when they did the sequences where the land and the sea is coming in and receding mm-hmm. and snow comes in and recedes, there's a bubble there while, while he's doing that, but no one throughout the rest of history, when, when his house came down, apparently did anything in the exact spot... <laughs> His time machine sits. You almost want that little side story where it's weird. We don't seem to be able to build anything in this spot. (coughs) Right. Before you get on to
2: any reviews, I I posted that we were going to be talking about it. I did get a few comments over on Facebook. Um, Facebook and on Discord. Uh, On Discord, uh, Matt, uh, former host and... um, Host of the uh, season fourteen time for a podcast. Oh, so this is actually he said this on uh, Instagram. He says that as a movie, it's okay. As a time travel story, it's very clever in avoiding the grandfather paradox by having Alexander unable to save Emma. Most time travel stories would rather create overly complicated scenarios to explain that paradox away, rather than see the already interesting conflict that can come up from that simple premise. Uh, movies at the mat if you want to follow him over there on Instagram Cameron Sullivan from the Jacked Up Review show who's been a guest here on this show uh, at least once or twice I always fade away while watching it cannot remember it other than that Jeremy Irons being some weird creature or something to that extent <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> well you're right you did that you got far enough in
2: yeah 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 you made it to the end <laughs> The Rod Barnett from the NashyCast and the Bloody Pit podcast. He says, "I very much enjoyed this version, but have only rewatched it once since it came out." That's eh, probably due for a rewatch, Rod. <laughs> and Billy Flynn from over there at Geek Radio Daily says it wanted to be more than it was. Yeah, I think I kind of have to agree with that. I feel like there was just there's there's things missing here. Yes, like no. you, like we said before, and yeah, they. I feel like if this were a two-hour movie, maybe it could have risen to the level that it was trying to.
0: Yeah, and, and I'd be curious if, if there was content there that could have gotten... Like, did, did stuff hit the cutting room floor that probably shouldn't
1: have?
2: Yeah, maybe I'll have to... I watched this off of Prime just because it was really convenient. I didn't pull a DVD out. Um, and now I'm really thinking I should have. And seeing if there were some deleted scenes that would fall within the uh, the what we feel like are missing yeah. periods.
0: Yeah, I, I I well, I'd like to hope there was a little bit more there. Or it could be yeah. wrong. So we
2: heard what you know the laymen think. <laughs> what did the the quote
0: unquote professionals have to think on this film? It, it doesn't get much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to rely on little snippets because paywalls are are doom, um, especially when looking for uh, reviews from movies 20 years old and more. But um, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, Stephen Ray, uh, according to the uh, Metacritic site, uh, it, this g- gets a 75 out of 100 um, from Stephen Ray. But uh, the, the film in its early going also has a nice light humor about it and an engaging, albeit tragic love story. So I can't imagine what else is there, but they were, Steven kind of enjoyed this. Right. About 75 out of hundred.
2: And that's might be about where I would put it. You know, 75 out of 100 6 out of 10, somewhere along those lines. Yeah.
0: See, it sinks quickly from there. <laughs> Cause if you get to the Chicago Tribune, this puts it more at the 50 range. Uh, Michael William Wilmington uh, says it's a movie that robs the story of its politics and point and never really matches the charm of the 60s film. So, yeah, this is yeah. kind of where I was sitting with it. Um, yep. And then got that to add to it. Um, New York Times A.O. Scott. This is in the 40 range. This uninviting and pallid version starring Guy Pearce is intent on grinding all sharp edges off the original story in effect making the movie childproof so no one can get hurt touching it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good description uh yeah no like, like we were pointing out uh, it, it's got some nice elements in there but it does soften it awful well like even the description of uh The making of the Morlocks for this, the the notion that they made something really cool and and freaky, but it would only work if it's in the dark and then they chose not to put it in the dark. I'm like, all right. Well, you took that edge off now, too, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the tried and true um, Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun Times Um, on the Metacritic site. uh, This one, I could pull the whole article. On the Metacritic site, this puts it in the 38 range.
2: Hmm. Oh.
0: If you go to the actual article, it's a one and a half star. Ow. Okay. <laughs> Roger didn't care for this one at all. No. He states, A witless recycling of the H.G. Wells story from ni- or 1895, with the absurdity intact, but the wonderment missing. <laughs> so... He didn't care for that, and then if you get to the end of his article, um, he says, By the end of the movie, as he stands beside the beautiful Eloy woman and takes her hand, we are thinking, not of their future together, but about how he got from the Morlock caverns to the top of that mountain ridge in time to watch an explosion that takes only a few seconds. A Morlock could cover that distance, but not a mathematician, unless he has discovered wormholes as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Ro- Roger wanted to pick on that one as well. I couldn't help but uh, throw that in there in our own critique, because, yeah, I was kind of like, what?
2: <laughs> yes.
0: So, and when that's your end of your film, and you're left going, what just happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so most of the uh, the major critics of the day didn't didn't particularly care for this.
2: Yeah, well, that's why we didn't get the Time Machine two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> time Machine two, electric boogaloo.
2: Okay, then. Well, that will do it for this episode. I think next time when we come back, we are going to wrap up the year of the time traveler. I can't believe the year has gone by already. We've hit on so much, and there's so much we didn't get to, but I'm sure we will find time to squeeze it in in future years. We are going to finish it off with a 2014 film called The History of Time Travel, which is a fictional documentary about the creation of the world's first time machine, the men who created it, and the unintended ramifications it has on world events. I've actually been very curious to watch this film. This will be a first-time watch for me. It'll be a first-time watch for me as well. I figured it should be fun, a kind of nice uh, tongue-in-cheek way to end the series.
0: (laughs) And it will hit on a lot of the points we love discussing about these films anyway. I think so. I think it'll pretty much uh, cover everything for us. That'll be
2: awesome. All right, well, that's going to do it, Tom. Thanks very much. I will talk with you in a couple weeks. Everybody, again, back to the social medias. Again, just follow the link in the show notes and you can find all the places that you can get in touch with us. So come and join us. Have some conversations. Uh, We'll be glad to discuss whatever it is you want to talk about, whether it's a movie we've talked about, whatever it's something Tom or I have watched or something that you came across and you wanted to bring to our attention. That would be pretty awesome, too. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye. See you.